let's pray, and then we're going to continue in our installment of Faithful Presence. Father, we're so grateful that you are indeed present here in our midst. And we know that you were present here before we gathered and before we congregated in your, in your name. And truly you are at work in all of the world, but in this gathering you are uniquely known and your presence is uniquely experienced as the people of God gather. And we're grateful for that. Father, we're thankful that there are songs that we can sing that tell the story, that reveal your nature, that speak of what you've done and what you are doing and what you will always do. Father, we thank you for the covenant of the Eucharist, that your life was blessed and it was broken and it was given and that we can experience and we can attune ourselves and we can and we can think and pay attention and tend to your presence through that particular discipline. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give to you through the medium of the tithe and the offering and, and the giving of alms to the poor. And Father, we thank you for the administration of the word of God. Lord, I ask that you would anoint this word, the word that you have breathed and inspired into the earth. And Father, I pray that hearts would be pricked, that hearts would be awakened, and that we would be reminded of your goodness and your heart for people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you are here with us today for the first time, or you just happened to miss last week, last week we began a new series, and we're just simply titling this Faithful Presence, Faithful Presence. And we're titling this series right after a book, and the book is written by a man named David Fitch. And so if you want to travel along with us more closely in this series, I would encourage everyone to jump on Amazon and pick up Faithful Presence uh, we are uh, going to be taking some of our source material today right out of chapter 2, but most of what we're going to be talking about today is just straight from, uh, just straight from the scripture. It's going to be very scripture heavy today. And um, the, the point that we're getting towards in chapter 2 and as we kind of branch out into the rest of the book is understanding that we, the people of God, are called to be the faithful presence of Jesus in the earth. And one of the big ideas that we're going to talk about next week is the twofold work of God in the earth. Now, what is the twofold work of God? Very simply, the twofold work of God is number one, what we call missio dei. Missio dei. Can you guys just say that with me? Say missio dei. And that's, that's just a phrase that speaks of the mission, missio, day of God, the mission of God. And then the second of the twofold work of God is incarnation. So next week, we're going to really pick apart these two big ideas that God is at work in all of the world. This is kind of the grand transcendence of God. If you remember earlier in the year, we talked about there were two dynamics of God's character or two dynamics of God's nature. He is a transcendent God. He is sovereign. These speak to his characteristics and his attributes that are, that are high and above the world. So the mission of God reflects the transcendent nature of God. His work in the Missio Dei extends beyond the church. He is moving and working in unreached people groups all over the world right now as we speak. The incarnational aspect of the work of God speaks to the fact that God works in a people and through a people and in a location to make that Missio Dei known in a very present and real way. So next week's going to be fun. Today, we're going to talk about the missional heart of God. We're going to talk about the fact that we serve a God who is not just a good God. He's not just a just God. He's not just a good, good father. He is those things. He is not just a perfect God. He's not just a wise God. He's a missional God. He is a God who cares deeply about the restoration of the created order, and he's a God that is constantly pursuing and chasing the hearts of his people. Very quick review, last week we talked about the fact 
that faithful presence speaks to the fact that God is at work in all the world and he works specifically through a people who are faithful to his presence to make his kingdom visible and real in the midst of a very broken and hurting world. And we broke each of those concepts down, starting with the fact that the presence of God is a promise, it is a revealing of his character, and it's something that we can place our faith and our trust in at all times. It's not something that we have to conjure up. It's not something that only happens in specific places or through specific mediums. God's present or his presence is always present because he promised that it would be. And the righteous walk by faith in that promise. It is a revealing of his character. It is a revealing of what is considered a theological term, his omnipresence, his omnipresence. He is at all places at all times. And then again, when God's people gather together and we become conscious of that presence and aware and we tend to his presence, he reveals his presence amongst his people in a very unique way. And he doesn't reveal that just so that we can enjoy it. He doesn't reveal his presence just so that we can bask in it or revel in it alone. There is always a missional dimension to the presence of God. I'm going to say that again because I don't want us to miss this. There is a missional dimension to the presence of God. There is a missional dimension. There is a reaching out dimension. There is an evangelistic dimension. There is a I care about this world nature to his presence. So as much as I love uh, those, those just moments of intimacy that I get to share personally with God, I, re- I love those. I have to keep in perfect tension and I have to keep in perfect balance that God reveals his heart and his love for me personally and because it is connected to a greater work of his kingdom that he has always been doing throughout eternity past and he will continue to do throughout eternity future. He reveals his heart to me so that I can then become a carrier of his heart to the people around me who do not know him. So a couple of very quick points here. Number one, we're going to talk about the missional heart of God. And another way of phrasing this is the living God is a missionary God. The living God, the God that we serve, the God of our fathers and our forefathers and mothers is a missionary God. The reason why we exist today as a people of faith is because we stand on the shoulders of people who have been faithful throughout centuries to proclaim this message of the gospel of the kingdom. And if and if we, re, if we stop becoming, if we, if we refuse to partner with the missionary nature of God, there's a number of things that happen. This faith that has been built for hundreds of years, it ceases. It ceases to exist in its power and its potency. And I, I remember a man said this one time before. He says, the church is the immune system of the world. The church the church that has been formed by the gospel, the church that has been formed by the missionary heart of God is the immune system of the world. And so as we look around and we see a world that is in chaos and pain and brokenness and frustration and isolation, as we look and we see this this reality of the world around us, the answer is the gospel of the kingdom formed in the church and expressed and proclaimed through God's people. Now, a verse that many of you are probably very, very familiar with is going to start our time off today. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. The word world there is not just some ambiguous, kind of high-minded, abstract concept. And it's not just referring to people. The word there is cosmos. Which means when it says that God so loved the world, it means that he loved the entire created order. He loves the ground. He loves the agriculture. He loves the animals. He cares about marine biology. He cares about the ozone layer. He loves it 
because it's his, because he created it. And as a part of the world, he loves people. Now, I read this years ago, and I always translated this as God so loves people. And who cares about all that other stuff? It's all going to burn up and go away anyway, right? Well, we learn, no, that's not right. So included in this created order is people. God so loved the world. Now watch what he does. It says that he sent. He sent his one and only son. And Ivy says gave the, the implication here there, and we're going to talk about this here in a few minutes, is that God in his missionary nature sends and works through people to continue to express and reveal his love to the world. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, perish. Let's talk here for a few minutes because if we say that God's a missionary God, in other words, that he is on a mission, that he has an assignment, that he has objectives that need to be fulfilled, that he wants to rescue people from the reality of distance from him and and death and destruction, we got to explore that a little bit. So let's take a look at a few verses that might be very commonplace to a lot of you guys to explain why God is such a missional God. John chapter three, verse 19 through 21. John three, 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world through Jesus, but people loved darkness. That is the reality. We gotta just keep that up there if we could. We have to understand that this is the reality of the human heart without the penetration of God in our lives. Without the reality of Christ dwelling in us through his Holy Spirit, we have a proclivity towards darkness. We have an inclination towards darkness. Our hearts, because of sin, gravitate towards darkness. In fact, the word says right here, we don't just lean towards darkness, we love darkness. And, And this isn't just speaking of, you know, the bad people. Y'all know who I'm talking about, right? You know, the bad guys. No, this is speaking about the nature of the human heart devoid of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We love darkness, power, greed, selfishness, lust, violence. And when you look around us, Christy read me this story the other day. It's an atrocious story of, of something that has happened at the hands of, of terrorists and, I, and I, I made this statement foolishly. I said, God, how can people do that? It's this. People can do that because the natural state of the human heart is not good. It's not good. There is nothing good about humanity barring the fact that we were made in God's image. We love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Let's keep reading here. Verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Why is God a missionary God? Because the natural state of human hearts is to love darkness. The natural state of human hearts is to partner with deeds that produce death and destruction. That is the natural inclination of our hearts apart from Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to just continue to drive this down. Colossians 1, and we're going to look at 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 says, For Christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So not only did we love darkness... Here's why God's a missionary God, because not only did our hearts love darkness, but we partnered with darkness to such an extent that we lived under the dominion of darkness. The word dominion there is a word that we've preached on many times in this church. The word is exousia, which means it's just where we get the word executive, It's where we get the word to execute. The executive branch of our government executes laws. Now look at that again. He has rescued us from the executive branch of darkness. 
He has rescued us. He has delivered us from the authority, the legal right that the enemy had to run our lives. See, apart from belonging into the kingdom of God, apart from there being a new authority in our lives, the enemy has every legal right to legally execute authority to ruin your life. Sickness, sickness belongs to the dominion of darkness. Divorce, violence, chaos, depression, evil, so many other things that we could, uh, we, we could lay out right here. All of these characterize the authority of the dominion of darkness. Now we could stop right there and I'll go home and this would be a very bad day. But the power of the gospel is not that he has left us under the dominion of darkness. The power, the good news of the message is not that we still live under that government. It's not that we still have a kingdom of violence that we adhere to. The good news is he has rescued us from the executive branch of darkness. And he has translated us. He has, in a moment, he has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Now, just, just a thought here. It's an example that I've used numerous times. So if you go to purchase a home and the previous owner of that home was not a good steward or a caretaker of that home, and you go in there and the walls are all nasty and corroded with mildew and mold. And you go outside into the backyard and, and it's just overrun with weeds and grass isn't nice and green and flourishing. That's the state and the condition of a home that was under the dominion of someone who did not take care of it. All right? Now, just because you purchase that home and move in, Things don't just change in a moment. Now it has new government, it has new leadership. It has a new owner, there's a new person that is occupying on an authority level that home. But now we've gotta do the work of repairing what the previous owner did. We've gotta do the work of recreating and regenerating and renewing and restoring what the previous owner did legally because they were the legal occupants of that house. And how many of you know that you don't just go into a backyard that's been bare and run over and the ground is all hard and, and there's not a beautiful system of grass and that doesn't just happen because you now have the keys to that house. It takes work and it takes disciplines and it takes energy. This is the state of the world on a micro level and on a macro level, on a macro level. Educational systems, right? Under the dominion of darkness, they're gonna be overrun with ideologies and philosophies and mindsets that perpetuate the fruit of the kingdom of darkness. This is why understanding the missionary nature of God is so important. Because unless God has a people that he can reveal himself to and reveal himself through, the natural state of life apart from God is perpetual barrenness and brokenness. It is the natural state. A.W. Tozer says it like this, the wilderness's job is to produce weeds. It's what it does. It's its job description. Anything that is not tended to with care and attention is going to experience barrenness and thorns and thistles. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. So number one, we loved darkness. Number two, we were under the dominion of darkness. But look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, once you were alienated from God. So even though his presence was in the world, even though his presence, because he owns the world, 
was, was, was present when we were alienated from God. We were not experiencing or enjoying or receiving or being transformed or changed by his unique presence in a personal or powerful way. We weren't doing it because we were alienated. We were distant. We were separated. And this is what it says. Not only were we alienated, we were enemies. We were enemies. Do you know what an enemy is? And an enemy is someone who has chosen to oppose you. An enemy is someone who hates you. An enemy is someone who is not even remotely aligned anywhere on the same value or belief system. That's how God described us. We have to understand that the natural gravitational pull of our hearts is to be enemies with God. Do you understand this? Without the governing presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the natural gravitational pull of our hearts and this world previously ruled by the prince of the power of darkness is to be enemies with God, to strongly, diametrically oppose the will and the work and the wisdom of God in the earth. We really should not marvel we shouldn't marvel when we see things that are happening institutionally, nationally, racially, sexually. We shouldn't marvel. That is the fruit of a people who oppose God and who live under the dominion of darkness. Let's read the next verse here. Once you were alienated from God. And let's just, let's just keep those verses up there if we could. I'm gonna reference those back and forth. Colossians chapter one, verse 21 uh, in your minds because of your evil behavior. Let's look at the next verse, 22. Therefore, just as uh, Colossians 1, 22, Colossians 1, 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Now, we can't miss this contrast because we were enemies with God enemies and now we have been presented as holy free from blemish free from accusation because of the powerful work of Christ the fruit of a missionary God let's continue here if we would Romans chapter 5 verse 12 we're going to read a handful of verses here in Romans 5 Romans 5 12 says therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. And we can't miss this. And we find this historically in the book of Genesis chapter three when Adam chose, he chose to legally trespass. He chose to switch sides, to switch allegiances, to switch loyalties. He chose to defect from the kingdom of God. He chose to pursue another master. Under deception, nonetheless, he chose another master. And this is what Romans 5 is speaking of. Essentially, he's saying because of that one violation, death now has entered into the bloodstream of all humanity. The virus of sin has entered into the hard drive of the heart of all humanity. Romans 3.10 says it like this, that all have sinned, that there is none righteous, none, not even one, the emphatic statement, for all have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the standard of God, the glory of God. Look right here at Romans 5.17. It says, for if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man. Now we gotta, we gotta catch this. From the moment that Adam chose to disobey God, death entered into humanity and it says that death reigned. Death reigned. That death and sin and the purposes of Satan had the supreme rulership in the world. This is where the message turns and it gets really, really good. But it says, how much more will those who receive God's abundance 
abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, how much more will we reign in life through Jesus Christ? Do you know why God's a missionary God? Because God wants us to reign in life. He wants us to reflect his glory and reflect his nature and reflect his wisdom and reflect his creativity and reflect his power. And we do that not when we reign under the spirit of death. We do that when we reign in the spirit of life through Christ Jesus. Romans chapter, oh, let's look at Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two. This is all going somewhere this morning. Ephesians 2, look at verse 1. I am baptizing our new visuals volunteers in their job this morning. You are doing amazing. She's up there like, you ain't ever used as many scriptures before. In my first Sunday, why are you doing this now? <laughs> Ephesians 2, 1 says, as for you, you were, say it with me. Why is God a missionary God? Because we loved darkness because we were under the dominion of darkness, because death reigned, and because we were dead in our sins, in our transgressions. You look at me and you say, well, you're living and, and you're breathing, and how can you say that we were dead? We were dead spiritually. We were dead in our ability to discern God. We were dead in our ability to hear the voice of God. We were dead in our ability to connect intimately and relationally with God. We were dead in our ability to access the fruit of his kingdom. We were dead in our ability to bring the power of God into the earth. We were dead. No life in us. Dead in our transgressions. Dead in our sins. Verse 2 in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Do, do, we, do we understand today that when we do not have the government of Christ in us by the Holy Spirit reigning in us, let me, let me phrase this another way. If you are not a believer in Jesus, if you've not received new life in Jesus, if the Holy Spirit of God is not habitating your heart, here's what the scriptures say. You are a follower of the devil. Now, we don't like that black and white. We don't like that extreme. That's just how it is. It's light or darkness. It's God or Satan. It's living in the kingdom of life or living in the kingdom of death. There really is no, there is no both hand. I'm kind of a both hand guy in a lot of things in the kingdom, but in this, there is no both hand. You cannot serve two masters. We cannot love God and love the enemy. We can't do both. This is why God is a missionary God. Look at these words right here. You used to live when you followed the ways of the world and you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We belong to Satan when we do not belong to Christ. And he is a hard taskmaster. I mean, you can just, you, I'm telling you, you, there's pictures and there's stories and there's histories. And if we really want to get into the fray of those things, look deeply, look deeply. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Here's what I encourage you to do. I would encourage you to look deeply at the fruit of following the prince of the power of the air. Look at it. We don't like to look at it. It's uncomfortable. It's queasy. It's uneasy. We turn our eyes from it. No, look deeply deeply and let it affect you and let it bother you and let it get inside of you and let it not only remind you but let it do something inside of you to say this is not right the world needs the gospel the world needs the gospel look at first timothy chapter two if you if you would 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Do you know why we get up here from time to time and we have people line up and we pray and we intercede, we make prophetic statements and declarations? It's because of this right here, because God has commanded us to make intercession for all people. 
for all political parties, for all racial groups, for all socioeconomic backgrounds, for all ethnos, for every nation of the earth. He's saying, make intercession for all of them. Let's look at the next verse. For kings and for all of those who are in authority. Yes, we should pray for President Trump, but we should have been praying for President Obama. Y'all ain't ready for that one. That, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Verse three, this is good and it pleases God, our savior. When we get together on city prayer nights and we are praying for the salvation of God to come to our city, we're praying for people that don't know Christ to hear the gospel, that pleases God our Savior. When men get together at 6 a.m. In a, in a little shack of a modular unit down here and cry out to God that he would, he would save kids that are wrestling through teenage suicide, this is good and it pleases God our Savior. And here's why, verse four, who desires all men to be saved. Gender neutral, uh, gender neutral, he desires all people to be saved. That's his desire. This is who God is. He desires all people to be saved. Your neighbor, your coworker. He desires the Muslim to be saved. He desires the immigrant legal and illegal to be saved. He desires the, the man who's beating his wife. He desires that man to be saved. He desires the prisoner to be saved. He desires all men, all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, we could read Faithful Presence. We could talk about the seven disciplines. We could talk about closed circles and dotted circles and half circles. And we're gonna talk about all that. We could talk about Missio Dei and incarnation, but it doesn't mean anything if we don't get convicted by the fact that this God that we say that we serve is a God who loves all people and desires them to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is fundamental. That is fundamental. That has to be the driving point for everything that we do. Christy was, I'm so proud. There's a number of girls that are going through a class here in town called Perspectives. It is a high level missiological class studying the history of missions, the biblical worldview of missions, the strategic nature of missions. And it is phenomenal. She is studying all night, every night. I'm like, where'd my wife go? It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's wife's taking the class too. And she came back one night and she just, she said something that was so powerful. She said, you know, for years to mobilize people on missions, we've used uh, pictures and we've used stories and we've used, you know, media that shows people the atrocious reality of life around the world. And it kind of moves on people's heartstrings. And here's, here's the reality of the situation. That is good for a short-sighted, short-term solution. But if we really want to mobilize a people, we need a revelation of this. We need a revelation of the character and the heart of God. And it, and it has to even go beyond, well, I love the world. No, no, you don't. You may to some degree, but your love is weak and fledgling and failing. But the love of God is perfect and eternal and enduring and the love of God is powerful and the love of God will supersede our love when our love runs dry when we forget about the images of the of the commercials that caused us to want to go when we forget about the promo from the event that we sat in that made us want to go through the internship when we're hungry and we're tired and we're bored and everything about us is being tested there has to be something greater than our love and our human compassion for people. It has to be the unfailing love of God, the missionary heart of God, and the fact that he, because of who he is, deserves the glory of the nations. He deserves the worship of every people group, of every language and every tribe and every tongue. Why would we do it otherwise? Why would we risk our lives? Why would we be inconvenienced? Because we have a conviction that this missionary God deserves the glory of the nations. 
2 Peter 3.9 says it like this. He is not slack concerning his promises. He is patient, not desiring that anyone should perish. Not desiring that anyone should perish. That's the heart of our God. The heart of our God is a God that is more concerned about the one person that leaves than the 99 that are basking in his presence. Than the 99 that, that, are, that are, you know. God loves entertaining us. He loves being with us. He loves pouring his presence out on us. He loves that. But let me, we can't forget that, that when we are having an experience with God, that in that exact same moment that we are experiencing God, his heart is equally thinking about those who are not. And I have this sneaky suspicion that if we really are making it about God and God's presence and not our experience of his presence, if we're really making it about the heart of him and experiencing him in his presence, that somewhere over the course of time, if we are really experiencing his presence, his heart for those who are not experiencing his presence is gonna get inside of us. You can't tell me that you're really experiencing my presence if after a long course of time, the things that I care about, the things that I burn for, the things that I love, that those things don't somehow infect you as well. It cannot happen. We have to question. We have to question whether or not we are authentically encountering the living Christ in his presence. And we have to question whether or not we are really making it about him in his presence. If we are not experiencing his heart for lost people. We, we, we have to question that. Do you understand what I'm saying today? We have to question that. Luke chapter 15, verse one. I hope that you can hear me say today that anything that we have elevated over God's heart for lost people, we need to pull it right back into its proper place. Where we've made the prophetic or the apostolic or great teaching or great worship, when we've made that the center and the end all be all and it's disconnected from the heart of a missionary God, it is out of order. It is just straight up out of order. When we've made uh, uh, finding and discovering our gifts more about finding and discovering our gifts and not somehow honing those gifts submitted to Christ for his glory and, 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 and fulfilling the, the missional heart of God, it's out of order. Everything that we're doing and everything that we're about should somehow be connecting us to more passionately and effectively connecting the missionary heart of God to people that don't know him. Luke chapter 15, verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We're gonna talk about that in this series. And Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Until he finds it. Until he finds it. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I think God is thrilled when we come into certain gifts and we come into certain elements of Christianity. I think he's thrilled, I really do. Just because as a father, when I see my children discover certain things about who they're created to be and the uniqueness, I, it blesses me, I'm thrilled. But we don't really have many other case studies that reveal that God is rejoicing. In the entirety of scriptures, like he rejoices when people who do not know him come to know him. 
He calls his friends and his neighbors. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 who do not need to repent. And I know I gotta hold all these things in perfect tension, but I'm just here to say that we have neglected the missionary heart of God in Antioch Church. We have neglected and we have made it more about our preference and we've made it more about our experience of his presence and our definitions of his presence and all those are wonderful, but we're gonna get this thing back in order. And it don't mean that I'm just gonna be preaching these fiery evangelistic messages all throughout the year, but we've got to pull this back into order, guys. It ain't all about you. And it ain't all about me. And it ain't all about us. It is about the missionary heart of God, reclaiming and proclaiming his heart and his life and his freedom to a broken and a dark world that does not know him currently, currently living under the government, living under the tyranny, living under the dictatorship of the devil. So here's a couple of thoughts for us to consider. I'm not gonna make blanket statements here, but I'm gonna give you several examples that when God encountered people with his presence, there was always in these examples, there were missional commissions, there were missional directives. Another way to say this is the missional nature of God's presence. See, this is why we have to understand this because we can't talk about faithful presence and faithfully tending to his presence and faithfully making his presence known if, if, we, if we escape the missional nature of his presence, beginning in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, chapter one, or Genesis 12, verse one, says the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you, Abram, into a great nation. Now we stop there. Because we like being great and we like being blessed and I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. And we usually stop there. But look at the next verse. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is what Christy was preaching on a couple of weeks ago in the offering. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through you. Now, there is a powerful dimension to being blessed. This is why the concept of faithful presence says that there is a unique presence that happens that we experience as the people of God. There are things that happen in this gathering, guys, as the people of God that are amazing. And we encounter the intimacy and the power of God's presence in a very unique way. But we can't stop there because we receive that blessing and it is a blessing. Man, when I, when I encounter you guys and you encourage me and you pray for me and you notice when I'm down, I had a greeter today. Thank God for our greeters. Nexus, guys, great job today. Come on, give Nexus a hand. When I walked in the door, there was a young greeter who said, hey, are you doing okay? You just don't seem as, you just don't seem as, as outgoing or as, as upbeat as you usually are. I was like, wow, somebody, that's amazing. No, I'm doing well, I'm doing all right, I'm doing good. But you know, that, those kind of things happen in the close circle of being with the people of God, and that's a blessing. And we learn things as the people of God, and we experience that, but we experience that. We, we learn these skills. We learn how to discern where God is at work and what God is doing. We learn how to pay attention to how God is operating in the earth so that we can carry that to the world and so that through us, we can be a blessing to the world. Exodus chapter three, let's look at the next verse here, Sherita. God encounters Moses in a burning bush and he says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. We have to understand that not one person on earth cries and it doesn't reach God. Not one, not one, not one kid 
who is at home alone because both her parents have to work. We're not even talking about violent situations. We're just talking about the reality of trying to work in this economy. And not one kid, not one kid's cry escapes the, the, the ear of God. And he says right here, he says, I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. The Egyptians and Pharaoh in Egypt are, in many scholars, a typology of the world. And the world is oppressive. The spirit and the nature of the world, the prince of the power of the air is oppressive, you guys. And this is what God says. This is what God says. I have seen it, and so now I'm sending you to go do something about this. Why didn't God just do something about it himself? Why didn't God just come down? Why didn't he send angels? Because this is the way God works. He works through people that are faithful to his presence. He chose to do that and it's our privilege. It's the immaculate privilege of humanity that we get to represent the heart of God to the world. It is God's design. And he says, so now go. Now I can imagine if I were Moses, I'd be like, this burning bush is awesome. I am gonna hang out here by this burning bush. I'm just going to just hang out here and I'm just going to just stay. I'm going to camp. I'm going to just, mm, and, he, and look at God, look at God, go. You know how many times in Exodus 3, read Exodus 3 over and over and over and, and, and Moses is making excuses and God says, go. Go. The longer we're here, the more they're in bondage. Go. The, the, the more you want to hang out with me in this amazing bush that doesn't burn up, I know it's really, really cool, but guess what? Your people, my people, your brothers, your sisters, they are being oppressed. And if you don't go, go. Go. Let's go look at Matthew chapter 17. This is one of my favorite stories. On the tension between this encounter and commission. Matthew chapter 17, verse one, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. That's sweet. That is sweet, dude. Signs and wonders and miracles. Gold dust. Angel feathers. Who cares? I mean, if it ain't somehow mobilizing us to get into the fray and the fracture of broken people, I could care how much gold we have on our chairs, you guys. I could care less. Gold dust ain't gonna, gold dust ain't gonna go into the brokenness of humanity unless we take it with us and go, hey, check this out, isn't this cool? Do you know Jesus? It don't, it just, come on. Jesus was transfigured, not the point. Because watch what happens here. His clothes became white as the light. Verse three, and just then appeared before him Moses and Elijah. This is getting better. I mean, could you imagine right here, right now, Moses and Elijah pulled up? That freaked me out. <laughs> you kidding me? You're the joker that went into heaven in a chariot of fire. You're the guy who hung out by a bush of fire. I'm starting to see a theme here. Look at verse four. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, this is me. This is me. This, I'm Peter. Guys, this is good. Let's, let's hang out. Let's, let's never go anywhere else. Let's lock up the doors. Let's memorialize the building. Let's build an altar. Let's cast it all in gold and have everybody come here. Let's have everybody come here. That's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, God, this is good. Do you want me to build a tent? Because if we build a tent, then guess what? We can stay here up on this mountain where there's no problems. I don't have to deal with Thaddeus and Bartholomew. I don't have to deal with real people here alone with you forever. And Jesus, actually, this is my favorite part. Look at the next verse. And while he was still speaking, now I'm a big stickler on don't interrupt people, but if God, 
If God interrupts me, he can interrupt me anytime. I, I swore in my mind, because I have preached this this way so many times, I looked through all three accounts of the gospels and I was like, I could have swore God told him to shut up and I couldn't find it. That was always my insertion. So I'm gonna say this one more time. God says to Peter, shut up. That's essentially, let me just keep reading. He goes, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered him and a voice from the cloud says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I, I think I kind of like the shut up insertion. I think it kind of just, you know, quiet, listen, listen, listen. And here's what we find. I'm gonna, let me see here. I'm, I'm gonna skip down a few verses here in Matthew 17. There's a little bit of commentary about conversation that they have. And if we'll pick up chapter 17 uh, in verse 14. In verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, so they're, they're down off the mountain now. Jesus canceled their REI subscription. He says, we're not gonna build up tents and hang out up here on an expedition. They go back down the mountain. And the very first thing they run into is a father whose son is demon-possessed. And then the father begins to tell a story. He says, from time to time, without any warning, my son will just throw himself down on the floor and convulse. Now I want you to, now don't just hear this as a story. You gotta insert yourself. You gotta put yourself at Walmart or you gotta put yourself in the checkout line of Costco or you gotta put yourself at your school and your son or your daughter is now throwing themselves on the floor convulsing and there's nothing you can do about it. And yet here's what we wanna do. We just wanna create little altars and rooms and tabernacles and tents. Why am I doing this around this bush? I have no idea, but that's what we wanna do. We wanna pull away from the world. We wanna pull away from the world so that we can just, just hang in God's presence. And I'm not saying being in God's presence is wrong. Please do not misquote me on that. But the purpose of saturating ourselves in God's presence, one of many, is to get his heart and to get his vision and to get his missional commissioning that says, guys, we gotta go back down to the mountain because you don't know this, but I know this, but there's a father down there who is, who is pouring out his heart for his child. That's what this is all about. I gotta, I gotta close this thing up. Let's go to, let's just go to John chapter 20. Every one of these encounters. Man, you remember when we talked about Paul and Paul encountered Jesus on the road? Jesus blinded him by the brilliance of his presence. You know the very next thing that Jesus does? Jesus sends him into the town so that he can receive his commissioning orders. John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them. Sign, wonder, miracle. This is amazing. The resurrected Christ is now standing in literal form in our midst. You better believe, I, I don't wanna go anywhere. This is what Jesus says. Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed and rightly so. Please don't hear that I'm diminishing that. Rightly so. I would be so full of joy if Jesus were standing right here in our midst. And this is what Jesus says. Guys, let's just hang out here forever. I got a great playlist. And it's all about me. And it's all about how much you love me. And it's gonna be amazing. And I know I'm poking fun, but listen, here's my heart. Here's what Jesus says. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Do you, do you think Jesus wanted to be born in cow poop? You think he wanted to leave heaven? Do you think he wanted to leave the nearness of his presence with the Father? 
let's put this into perspective, guys. You think that you've experienced or encountered something in the presence of God, Jesus and the Father were one and he was at the right hand of the Father with broken, unbroken fellowship. And now Jesus has to live in this crummy world with people that hate him. And I think I got problems with people questioning what we're doing. People were questioning Jesus all the time. You think that was fun? Do you think that was pleasurable, enjoyable, convenient? And here's what Jesus says, in the same way that I was the missionary from heaven, in the same way that I left my convenience to come to this place, in the same way that I chose mission over presence that is designed just for me, he says, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you in that same spirit. I'm sending you with the same motivation. I'm sending you in the same way that I was sent from the heart of the Father. Let's stand to our feet this morning, you guys. We're gonna flesh this out more in the next few weeks. We're gonna talk about Missio Day and incarnation. It's gonna be so awesome. But I'm t- I'm, I am praying for Antioch Church. And I am praying. Oh, come on up. Whoa, that was amazing. I was like, is he on the pad right now? How is he doing that? <laughs> exactly. He's like, it's, it's, it's an app. <laughs> Guys, in the same way, man, I'm telling you, I am praying for this house. There are people that are, they're my, our neighbors. People that we see on a daily basis know what their stories are like they need the missionary God and they need the missionary gospel they need to get out from under the dictatorship of the devil they need freedom, they need life they need hope, they need joy, they need the power of God, they need to be able to fend for themselves, they need to be able to hear God's voice they need to be able to grieve rightly they need to be able to know that life is more than just this they need what we experience and listen they need this presence that we enjoy i love the presence of god i love the presence of god so much you guys don't ever think that i don't love the presence of jesus but I wanna be gripped with his heart to bring his presence to a people that have never, ever tasted and experienced the joy and the fullness of his presence. And so today, God, Lord, we pray for the lost around us. Pray for every single mom. We pray for every child that doesn't have a two-member, a two-parent family. Pray for our coworkers, our neighbors. We pray for our friends. We pray for our enemies. We pray for the military base. We pray for the high school students considering and contemplating entering their lives, God. We, we pray today that the presence of God in the earth through the church would saturate our city, would fill our classrooms and our locker rooms and our hallways. Oh, Spirit of the living God, would you breathe afresh on the church of Jesus in Colorado Springs? Breathe afresh on Vanguard and Pulpit Rock and Cragmore Reformed and New Life and New Life Downtown. Breathe afresh on Mountain Springs. Breathe breathe afresh, God. Breathe afresh, God, on Red Rocks. Breathe afresh on the church of God in our city. God, you said, ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers and laborers into the harvest field. And can we just lift up our hands and say, I will be a worker. I will be a laborer. I will be someone who goes into the world. I will tend the garden of the influence that you have given to me. Jesus, I pray, make this more than just emotion. Make it more than a series. Make it more than a sensation. Make it more than hype. Make it more than a feeling. Make it more than an opinion. Make it a revelation and make it a reality in our lives. Baptize us in the missionary heart of our God. Baptize us in the missionary heart of our God. Baptize us as a people. God, I pray today that you would transform our very passions, our awarenesses. God, let us not love a Super Bowl more than we love bringing your presence to the lost. Let us leverage every opportunity at our disposal 
to come close and to come near. Let us push past our conveniences and our preferences and our pleasures, God. Let us be aware, aware, oh God. Let us tend to your presence and tend to the presence of others in every coffee shop, in every grocery store, those that stand on street corners. God, I'm asking you today that you would work a missionary spirit into our hearts for the glory of your name. Antioch, God bless you today. I love you. Love who we're becoming. Love what God is doing. Don't shrink back from this, you guys. Don't shrink back from the privilege and the opportunity to make Christ known in the earth. In Jesus' name, go stuff your faces today. But do it with someone that doesn't know Christ. Amen.